Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We've been studying the book of Colossians for some time now, and Pastor Jordan has done a tremendous job in opening up the the chapter in a way that helps us understand how God is working in our lives and what his desire is relative to growth in the Christian experience. As the book opens, and I'm going to give just a brief review, we're reminded in verse 1 that believers have been raised up with Jesus Christ, and the reason is because of verses 2 and 3, the believer has been identified with the death of Jesus Christ, and as a result, they are to set their minds on the things above, not the things that are on the earth. In verse 4, believers have been displayed with Christ, and in light of these truths, there are some things that as Christians we need to do if we're going to grow in our relationship with Christ. In fact, basically two things, negatively and positively. Negatively, we're to put to death the members of our earthly body, which are immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, that amounts to idolatry. We're to put these things to death. We're to kill it. It's a part of our own life. And not only that, we're to strip off old sins, verse 8. Put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Get rid of it. Put it off like an old shirt, like an old coat. In a positive way, beginning at verse 12, we are to put on a new life like we would a new coat. And the apparel of the new man is described in verses 12 and 13 and 14. And then verse 15, the passage that we come to this morning, the attention is drawn not so much to the individual as it is to the church as a whole, the corporate body, and how this new life in the individual impacts the church, the body of Christ. In verse 15, we're going to see that a healthy church is to be ruled by the peace of Christ. In verse 16, a healthy church is to be indwelt by the word of Christ. And in verse 17, a healthy church is to be motivated by the name of Christ. Follow along as I read. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So in the few minutes that we have left this morning, I would like you to look with me where Paul offers three principles that explain how the child of God is to conduct himself with his fellow believers in the body of Christ in a way that produces a healthy congregation. How Christians who are growing in their faith in a corporate way can produce a healthy church, a healthy congregation. I'm reminded of the perfect church that has been set to poem, to rhyme. If you should find the perfect church without one fault or smear, for goodness sake, don't join that church, you'd spoil the atmosphere. 
If you should find the perfect church where all anxieties cease, then pass it by, lest joining it you mar the masterpiece. If you should find the perfect church, then don't you ever dare to tread upon holy ground. You'd be a misfit there. But since no perfect church exists, made of imperfect men, then let's cease looking for that church and love the church we're in. Let's keep working in our church until the resurrection, and when each will join God's church without an imperfection. It's good to remember that there is no such, as a, such thing as a perfect church, but it is possible to experience a healthy church, and that's what we want to look at this morning. And uh, I would encourage you to notice, if you're following along in the um, outline that you received as you came into the auditorium that I'm going to change it just a little bit. Uh, I've tweaked it. Um, As a result of going up on the mountain, it is apparent that uh, I've received some revelation that makes the passage of Scripture appear just a little bit different. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Verse 15, a healthy church is ruled by the peace of Christ. A healthy church is ruled by the peace of Christ. Now, the peace that's being described here refers basically to the absence of hostility. In the body of Christ, once it's indwelt by people who are following Jesus Christ and living according to the principles that he has revealed, they experience a peace that exists on the inside and it is demonstrated on the outside by producing an absence of hostility in the body of Christ. It is based upon an inner tranquility as a result of the person's relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's the peace of Christ, so it means that it originates in him. Jesus said to his disciples in describing this peace, Peace I leave with you. Uh, uh, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So Jesus invites us to participate in the peace that he gives to his followers, the peace of Christ. Now when it's reproduced in the body of Christ, when the peace of Christ is reproduced in the church, as I said, it removes the hostility among members of the congregation. It produces a congregation that experiences a special kind, a unique kind of unity. It's a kind of peace that where everything is dominated and controlled by Jesus Christ and even means when decisions are made that the congregation moves as a unit. One of the best things I think we ever did in our church was to vote away the right to vote. What it, what it produced in the old days was a congregation where you had winners and losers. Those in favor of the decision and those opposed to the decision, which in my opinion is not a unified church. Church where we move together is extremely important because it is a church that is driven by the peace of Christ, the unity that comes from Jesus Christ. Now, the peace of Christ, we are told in verse 14, 
verse, uh, yes, verse 14, Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That means let the peace of Christ umpire in your hearts. It means let him be the one who makes the final decision. The peace of Christ is our calling because it says, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. What does it mean to be called? Well, there's a lot of ways you can look at it in the Bible. To be called by Jesus Christ refers to his elect. Being called by Jesus Christ means that we are separated from the things of the world and separated unto God. To be called by Jesus Christ means that we are his we are his people. He owns us, which is important for us to understand. It means that we have been called from the world and set apart unto holiness. That's the nature of our calling. It means that Jesus has an ultimate destiny for all those who belong to him. And when we're called by Jesus Christ, it means that he has a plan and a purpose for us in this life because we are owned by him. Now the word church refers, ecclesia, ecclesia refers to the called out body. And as a church, as a congregation who follows Jesus Christ, it means that we're called out from the world, set apart unto Jesus Christ for the things that he has called us to do. Why would we care about sending people to the Central African Republic? Why? Because they're part of us. They are part of the called group. And they are part of our spiritual family. Now unity in the body of Christ is extremely important. And we are called into one body. Now there are several examples in the scriptures where there were individuals who were divisive in the body of Christ and produced all kinds of disunity. I'd like to invite you to the book of 3 John. We don't turn to that book very often, but if you start at the back of the Bible and go from Revelation back to Jude, the next book you'll hit is 3 John. 3 John chapter, uh, there's only one chapter, 3 John verse 9. Let me introduce to you a man by the name of Diotrephes. Diotrephes. In verse 9 it says, I wrote something to the church. Now this is John writing to the congregation that's meeting in the living room of Gaius, according to verse 1. John says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Now what's John telling us about this man, this disruptive person named Diotrephes? Well, it would be incredible to be described as this person and uh, read about by the church for 2,000 years. John says, who loves to be first, verse 9. Who loves to be first, meaning that he is a person who is unsubmissive. He loves to be first. 
You'll also notice in verse 9 the expression, who does not accept what we say, indicating to us that he, again, that he is unsubmissive. Verse 10 says, he is unjustly accusing us with wicked words. That tells us that he is a man who is factious, who is divisive. Now, as, as it relates to a factious man, if you, we had time this morning, we would turn to Titus chapter 3, verses 9, uh, verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, if you've got a factious person in your church, warn them twice and then reject them. If you've got a factious person in your congregation, warn them twice, then remove them from the church. And the reason is because we have been called to peace. We have been called to unity. And when someone disrupts that God-given unity, they are to be warned and then to be removed. God takes his peace and unity in the body of Christ very, very seriously. Well, not only that, not only was Diotrephes a factious man, he says he does not receive the brethren, meaning that he's unloving. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. He was kicking people out of the church by his own authority. He was a man who was arrogant. This type of personality, this type of individual who creates this kind of tension, God doesn't want in the church and wants the congregation to remove them. And if we don't, we experience a tremendous sense of disunity. And our congregation is adversely affected. Well, back to our verse in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. Beyond all these things put on love, which, the, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And then it says, and be thankful. Be thankful. The peace of Christ is the basis upon which we express our thanksgiving. The peace of Christ in the church, the gratitude of Christ, works together. People who are at peace are thankful people, and people who are unthankful don't experience peace. Peace and gratitude work together. And in light of all that the Lord has done for us, we are to be people of thanksgiving. People who don't live in peace are usually individuals who are not happy with anything in the body of Christ. And over the years, I've met a few. People who are not at peace are people who are unthankful. There are people in the church who don't like how long the preacher preaches, they don't like the chairs. They don't like this, the, uh, the length of the service. They don't like the music. They are quick to tell you the things that they don't like. And these people are ungrateful for what God has given to them. They are unthankful, and in that sense, it affects their personal peace, which in turn affects the peace in the congregation. Seems like it's one thing after another with a person who has lost his sense of gratitude for what Jesus has done for him. So we move from there to verse 16, where a healthy church is indwelt by the word of Christ. 
a healthy church is indwelt by the word of Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. The word of Christ, what is that? It seems to be the things that Jesus taught while he was here on earth. That's the word of Christ. The word of Christ seems to include not only his words that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it includes all of the words of the New Testament that the Spirit of God has authorized. All of it seems to be the word of Christ. Take a minute, if you would, and turn back two books. Go back past Philippians to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And something I want you to see here. By the way, we're going to talk about these verses in Sunday school class this morning as we talk about parenting. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. When you look at those verses, the filling of the Holy Spirit and the Word of Christ, it seems like both of them produce the same results, and so there is a very similar nature to their ministry. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about the impact of these words on the ministry of mom and dad in the church, and we'll see that in, Sunday, in the equipping class this morning. Now when it says, let the word of Christ dwell in your hearts, that word dwell in the original language means to be at home. Let the word of Christ be at home in your hearts And the word of Christ is fundamental to our instruction and exhortation to one another. Notice again, let the word of Christ be at home within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another. Notice that this is to be in the context of wisdom. The context of wisdom. In the first chapter of this book, Paul referred to wisdom and gave us some clues as to what it means. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now Paul uses wisdom and understanding, communicates that to the congregation for a purpose, verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul taught the people in Ephesus or Colossae for the purpose of helping them, according to verse 10, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That means to live a life that's consistent with the claims of Jesus Christ and to bear spiritual fruit and increase in the knowledge of God. So this ministry was performed with wisdom. It was performed with the ministry of instruction and warning. The words that are used there are teaching 
and admonition. Now, I don't know if you thought about it as you were singing this morning, but you were teaching. You were admonishing. One of the reasons we come to church, one of the reasons we love to come to church, is to sing. And God delights in hearing His people sing. When the Reformation took place years ago, when Martin Luther broke away from the Roman Catholic Church, when others followed, one of the things that Martin Luther wanted was to take the Bible, translate it into the language of the German people where he lived, because he wanted people to know God's Word. Why? So they could sing. Martin Luther loved to sing. One of the songs he wrote, you probably know, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He loved to sing. He wanted people in his congregation to sing because singing is extremely important. And one of the things that it does is that it teaches and admonishes. To teach refers to the ability to explain God's truth to others so that they understand and apply it to their personal lives. To admonish someone refers to draw close to that individual and on occasion to confront them with the truth of God's Word. This was the nature of Paul's ministry as he describes it in chapter 1 verse 28. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. The thing that drove the man who wrote these words was the desire that everyone he taught would one day stand before Jesus Christ complete. And that word complete means mature, fully developed. And so he taught and he admonished. And he did it enthusiastically and passionately because the next verse says... For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That was the desire of his his life, to see people taught, to see people admonished and encouraged in the Christian faith. This is the ministry, then, that you and I are to perform on behalf of one another. As we sing, we teach and admonish. Again, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing. Now I've seriously thought about, and I would encourage Pastor Jordan to think about presenting a sermon on Sunday morning where we sing the whole thing. Singing, teaching, and admonishing. No, that's directed to the congregation. That's directed to the body of Christ. What's a psalm? Singing psalms. Psalms are Old Testament psalms put to music. Well, what's a hymn? A hymn is a song that is written to praise and worship God. What's spiritual songs? My guess is, we don't know for sure, my guess is it's a catch-all phrase that refers to any Christian song that conveys a Bible or a gospel message. 
Music is an incredibly effective way to communicate the truth of the gospel. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs need to be taught to the congregation because the congregation in turn ministers to each other with the words that they sing. I think it's important in light of these expressions to consider a couple of things. Every song we sing ought to accurately and truthfully represent the gospel. In my opinion, there's lots of Christian fluff today in songs. There's a lot of uh, simplicity. And sometimes Christian songs are an inch deep and a mile wide. Christian songs ought to communicate truth if we're going to teach and admonish through Christian songs. I think the terms psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs communicate that there ought to be a variety in our Christian music. We ought to sing different songs at different tempos and different levels of enthusiasm. I believe it's important for our Christian songs to effectively communicate the joy of our faith. And if it's going to communicate truth that we want to remember, it needs to be a song that can be easily followed. So, in a healthy church, a church that's controlled by the peace of Christ and the Word of Christ, it needs to be a congregation that sings the music of the gospel during the week. As students go from class to class, they ought to be able to sing the songs that they sang on Sunday morning. Christians ought to be able to rehearse the Word of Christ as they drive to work on the freeway, as they engage in their housework and their homes. It needs to be packaged in a way that people love to sing it. James says, is any among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises to the Lord. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Thankfulness is mentioned again. Thankfulness, according to verse 15, the first verse we looked at, is vital to peace that we experience in the body of Christ. The third principle and the last. A healthy church is motivated by the name of Christ. A healthy church is motivated by the name of Christ. Christ's name is to motivate everything we do. When we leave this service this morning and go out into the activities of the week, the believer is consciously aware of the authority of Jesus Christ in his life in a way that directs what he says and what he does. Just as the authority of Christ, according to this context, according to verse 5, we are to put to death immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. The reason we do that is because of the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's why we put aside, verse 8, anger, wrath, 
malice and slander and abusive speech. We change the way we talk because of the authority of Jesus Christ in our life. And we don't want to do anything to bring him displeasure. Christ's name is to motivate everything that we do. We are conscious of his presence in our lives. Verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell or be at home within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then verse 17 seems to be a summary of everything that's been said. Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. There he did it again. Giving thanks through him. Thanksgiving is in verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17. Do you get the impression that a healthy church is filled with people who are grateful? Paul uses that term over and over in this book. Chapter 1, verse 3, he communicates to the saints at Colossae, we give thanks to God, always praying for you. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Chapter 2, verse 7, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And finally, chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. To wrap it up, let me ask three questions. As we go out into the week, number one, will you ask that the peace of Christ would be allowed to rule in your heart this week? You maybe know already some of the things that are going to challenge you this week. Will you ask the Lord to give you his peace and allow it to rule, to umpire in your heart this week? Number two, will you allow the word of Christ to be at home in you this week? If you do that, you're going to have to spend some time in it. And number three, will you purpose to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him this week. Now, folks, if you ask this morning, I understand and God understands you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to always come through. It's the nature of the Christian life to fail. But I'm asking you to try 
I'm asking you to exert some effort in your Christian experience this week. Let's bow our heads. First of all, will you allow the peace of Christ to rule in you this week? If so, will you say in your own words to the Lord what you want to say relative to his peace this week? You pray, I'll wait. Secondly, will you allow the word of Christ, the words of Scripture, to be at home in you this week? If so, will you respond to the Lord right now in your own words? And finally, will you purpose to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to him this week? We understand what James tells us, Lord, sometimes we come to the Word, we look at it, and it exposes a need in our life. We look at it and we walk away. We're hearers of the Word, but we're not doers. Lord, I pray for each one in the congregation this morning as they lay these matters before you in the context of their own lives. And I pray that you would allow the peace of Christ to rule in the life of each man and woman here today. And Lord, I pray that you will allow the word of Christ to be at home in their lives. And Lord, I pray finally that in whatever they do, in word or in deed, that they will do it under the authority of Jesus Christ. They will do it in the name of Jesus Christ with thanksgiving. And Lord, I pray that as a result, people's lives would be impacted by the good news of the gospel. It is a life-changing, powerful message that you have given to us to proclaim, not only in word, but also in deed. Help us, Lord, not to be critical, negative people. You've reminded us over and over again to be thankful people. And when we do, we will be people who are at peace with life as it has been given to us by our gracious Lord Jesus Christ. And this we pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand together. Our prayer for the week, Psalm 19, verse 14. Together, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God bless you this week. Have a great week.